Hey, Craig. When social distance is right, in my living room at night, when the bars are closed and we're stuck at home, I'm drinking with myself, oh, 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 drinking with myself, oh, 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 drinking with myself. Well, there's nothing to do when there's booze to consume, I'm a drinking with myself. <laughs> yeah, you, uh, you, you apparently traveled all over the greater Tacoma area tonight, picking yeah. up booze that you can drink by yourself. Yep, you know, as long as you can still get it to go, we gotta gotta support those uh, local breweries and all that. Yeah, it's uh, that's kind of where we're at right now. I, I did my part, went on Monday, and and uh, we were trying to help out a friend who was actually in quarantine, so because uh, they were waiting for a COVID nineteen test result. So we were like, yeah, let's go get uh, let's go get some get some beer for him and drop it off. And then I, I of course had to make sure to support him in in my own little way. So yeah, had to do that. Very cool. Well, this is Podcast versus Everyone. I'm Craig Powers. With me, as always, is Jeff Neusser. And Hi. Tonight we have a special guest, which we'll get into <laughs> in a second. Man, we're we're like we are we are we're doing we are doing it big. Yeah. Yeah. Should we just, should we just hop into it? <laughs> we probably. I don't should. know about all that. Let's relax now. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, should we? So should we give it just like like and see how many? Nah, because we're gonna tell them. I was gonna say we should have them guess yeah. who the voice is, but we're gonna tell them anyway. So Craig, why don't you why don't you tell them? And now, six footish from Columbia <laughs> University, <laughs> John Oh, wow. I mean, this is the most amazing and undeserved uh, uh, announcement introduction I've ever received. So I appreciate it. <laughs> yeah. Right. right. For those of that? you who don't know, uh, John Andrzejczyk is uh, an assistant basketball coach for WSU. Uh, the uh, What do we call the director of analytics, John? Is that? Yeah, is that sure. Sounds cool. good. Sure. Among... Uh, a lot of other things. Among other point. things, because there's yeah. only so many coaches you can have. So Yeah, there's yeah. only three, and John's one of them. That's a that's you, a big dang deal right there. You gotta I don't know about that, but you gotta wear a lot of hats. So <laughs> that's part of the deal. That's true. Like you guys don't get you guys don't get like, you know, fourteen assistants and eighteen analysts like like the football team does, right? You know, I I've thought of that actually a lot more than I probably should and uh <laughs> it would be great. I mean, I'm all for it. Let's Let's have ten coaches, and we can all work in our little silos and have uh, you know more specialized positions. But the way it is now, you got to do a little bit of all of it. You got to do the analytics, coach on the floor. You got to recruit, you know, help out the kids academically. You're you're wearing a lot of hats. Well, I see you doing you know a lot of coaching in game too. It's it's funny. Like I don't know how many times this year I've been watching a game and they they cut to a bench shot, you know, trying to show Kyle. And then you're standing up, you know, barking out orders, and it cracks me up because it's like, you know, they're they're like, oh yeah, Kyle Smith's done a hell of a job, and it's like you're you're up there barking. It's it's a, it's pretty hilarious. A lot of times, it's it's not as complex as it looks. I'm saying, hey, you got number twenty two. He goes right <laughs> and he shoots threes. You got so you know you got uh, ten. Keep him in front. Like it's not it's not rocket science. <laughs> Believe yeah, me. it's it's you're not trying to overcomplicate it, right? You're no, like, no, yeah. just re remember these two. If you can remember these two things, then yeah. we'll we'll be okay, right? Yeah, no doubt, no doubt. All right, well, Craig, do you want to ask the first question? You want me to ask the first question? 
I don't know. We should work this out beforehand, but given no. the, the crap level of our show, this is this is pretty on brand. Well, you know, John, I, I in, in my song, which you, you were uh, lucky enough to be here to listen to, uh, obviously we're talking about how we're all stuck at home right now. Um, what's that been like for you guys? Uh, you know, obviously you're on a, a 30 day, uh, no recruiting period, but ha- what have you guys been doing? What's it like in Pullman? How, how have you kind of coped with it? Or I guess, and how did the team kind of cope with, uh, the sudden end of the season? Well, uh, I'm on the podcast tonight, so I'm not going to pretend those aren't related. We got, we got some free, got some free time know, like, on our hands right now. You sent me this text message out of the blue and you're like, Hey, this week's probably a good week if you want to have <laughs> me on the show. No question. Like, okay. Now we're we're uh, we're relaxing. It's it's a lot of downtime right now, and just kind of hoping this thing passes and passes uh, with everybody remaining safe and sound. You know, it's it's been a uh, very rapidly evolving situation. You know, where we went to sleep, kind of expecting to play Arizona State for a chance to get to the Pac-12 semis, and we woke up at 10 a.m. the next morning, and uh, the season was over. So it's, you know, it's, uh, it's all been going fast. And, uh, as, as far as our guys, I think most of our American kids have, have gone home. Um, and they're, they're with their families now, which is great. You know, all of our, all classes have now moved online at WSU. So, uh, technically until, um, they give us the all clear to do workouts, the, the kids don't really need to be here. You know, mm-hmm. now our, our international guys, I think it's a little bit harder on because uh, right now there's a there's a travel ban from Europe to here. So for uh, Vova and for Jazz, it's not really feasible for them to go back home because uh, they may not be able to get back here. Right. So is it like like how uh, as, as a coaching staff, how do you, you know, try and support them through that, especially if. You know, all their teammates and, and presumably the vast majority of their classmates have, have gone home. You just, just try to keep in touch with them and, and just be there for whatever they need. I mean, I saw I saw Jazz today. He uh, he was in he came by the office. You know, we made sure we stayed six feet away from each other. Um, <laughs> yeah, for sure. Yeah, but he was here, and I, I saw Gervais as well, so he's running around. Um, and you just try to, try to touch base with uh, – a few guys. I mean, I think we all, uh, all the assistants, all you know, Coach Smith. We all have guys we uh, we talk to a little more closely, or we recruited, or whatever. Um, so you just try to stay in touch with those guys specifically and make sure they're doing all right. Now, I imagine you guys. Uh, you know, you mentioned you 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 know went to went to bed thinking you were going to go play um, Arizona State, and you know, again, woke up the next morning and, and the season was over. Now. We kind of have a running gag uh, around calling ourselves the uh, the national champions. Are you guys aware that you are actually the national champions because oh. you won the last completed game of the season? Oh, it's not a running gag. We are the national champions. <laughs> I mean, this is this is this is a no brainer, no doubt. Are, I mean, are, are we printing the shirts? Are we hanging a banner? I mean, how how are we going about? Are you guys using this in recruiting materials? I, I kind of want to know the full extent to which you guys are embracing this. All I know is when we hang the banner, we better have our best opponent next year because we play well in those games every time. <laughs> so, yeah, right. you, you definitely, you definitely did. You definitely no did. Um, that Colorado game, you know, was was so cool to watch. Um, and I'm really curious, you know, you guys played really well for about half the game down in Boulder and then, and then kind of petered out. 
I, and I'm really curious, you know, in this game, I, I'm always kind of wondering how, how much adjustment takes place between, you know, that first game and that second game. Was the game plan pretty similar, you know, and you just felt like you needed to execute it a little better? Um, or, or did you come up with something different? Or, or what were you able to do, you know, this time against Colorado that you weren't maybe able to, to pull all the way through the first time? Yeah, I mean, I, I'd say whenever, uh, you know, something doesn't quite work out and the, the first time it, you know, worked for a while and then it, it, you know, obviously we faded at the end of the game in Boulder. Um, we, we look at one of three things, you know, is this something where we just got to do it better? Is this something where we got to do something else? Or is this something where we got to do it with somebody else, you know? And I, I think when we watched the film of the first game, um, and coach, coach Phelps had the scout and did a really nice job. And, and we really felt that this was an area where we could just do it better, where we could, uh, try to chase their guards off the three, uh, and kind of funnel them in toward the rim and, uh, and make them miss down there, you know, and, and now part of why I think that worked a little better this time around is, uh, you know, Vova made a little bit of a jump and, uh, he, he helped us down the stretch the last few games of the year. Um, uh, especially on the defensive end and kind of being able to guard Beatty and uh, make him miss around the rim and make their guards shoot floaters and knock it all the way for uh, for layup. So, you know, I, I would say for sure it was mostly in the column of, um, of doing it better and kind of guarding things the same way. Uh, but we definitely felt we needed to play bigger at the five consistently. And hitting half your threes helps too, right? <laughs> no doubt, no doubt. I mean, CJ was the best player on the court, and uh, when you oh, have the sure. best player on the court in the game, you you got a great chance of winning. It, to talk a little bit about CJ, I, I'm I'm curious from a from a coaching perspective, and I know that you know you're probably probably I don't know I don't know what limited in what you would say is, is the way to say it, but just you know he's he's your player, so. Um, obviously a lot of talk about him, you know, exploring the NBA as he did, as he did last year. I, you know, I presume that uh, assuming everything is kind of normal ish going forward, um, at some point that the, he'll explore that, um, the, he'll explore that again, but you know, from your perspective, and again, this being, you know, the first year that you worked with CJ, uh, you know, what'd you, what'd you kind of notice about him? What makes him special? And then what, what does he need to do in your opinion to, to kind of take that next step to being, you know, cons really consistent game in game out. Cause he definitely had some games where, where he sort of had a real tough time, you know, either, either getting a shot off or, or making it with consistency. So what's that next, that next thing that you see from a coaching perspective that, that is, that he needs to take um, to truly have that impact every single game. Yeah, well, well, I'd start with uh, CJ's a really good basketball player. You know, he's uh, maybe maybe the best guy I've ever coached, uh, and he's a guy that's that's definitely going to play in the NBA at some point. You know, so uh, selfishly, we're we're hopeful that we can get him back for for another year. You know, and and see if we can make a run in the Pac-12. But uh, he's a good player. I mean, he every single game, he is the number one guy on the. Uh, on the opponent's scouting report and he's the guy they're trying to take away his shot. You know, I, I think if you looked over and I did it a few times during the game, I looked down the Colorado bench when he, uh, when he made some threes and, and they're upset about it, you know, cause it's something that, you know, any coaching staff is, is emphasizing to take his shot away, you know? So um, overall, just a lot of praise for him. Cause I, I think he, 
is a really good competitor. He's uh, he's been coachable with us, and you know we've we've tried to push him in a couple areas, and he's done a good job there, um, leading his teammates and kind of kind of staying the course, you know, because we've had some good stretches where we were winning a bunch of games in the row, and you know then you have some stretches where uh, where you don't quite come out on top, and he's uh, he stayed with it and uh, been good to us, you know. I think for him. You know, to keep evolving. I mean, he's he's a he's a young kid. You know, so he's he's gonna get bigger and stronger and faster, and his shots just gonna keep getting better. Um, you know, being able to drive uh, both directions, finish at the rim, um, just just sort of not settle. You know, he's he's got this great ability to get a shot off whenever he wants, um, but the more he's at his best when he's banging threes and. And then driving those closeouts, getting the rim, drawing fouls. So, you know, um, that that would really be the the one thing. But I I for sure think he'll be able to do that. His sophomore season reminds me so much of Clay's sophomore season. And and I'm you know I'm just gonna I'm gonna kind of make an assumption that you didn't follow Clay Thompson's sophomore season uh, <laughs> out here too closely. But uh, you know his it was sort of a it, it was kind of a uh, a little bit of a joke with us where, you know, Clay made first team all pack 12 as a sophomore or all pack 10, I guess it was pack 10 at the time uh, as a sophomore. And he had a real, just sort of up and down season. He had some games where he just totally disappeared. And, but he was, you know, a lot like CJ where he was really the, the primary offensive threat uh, for the team and um, didn't have a ton of help around him. And, and so really the, the weight of the, of the, scoring load was was really on his shoulders and that was coming from you know that was his first year with ken bone uh you know freshman year with tony bennett really was i mean he had a nice scoring season for a freshman but you know of course wasn't really asked to do a ton with you know aaron baines and taylor rochester on the team and and what have you and so he seemed to struggle just a little bit taking on that primary role and, and really the increased attention that the defense put on him. And it seemed like I saw that with CJ uh, to some degree. And when Clay stuck around for that junior year, the thing I really, um, you know, that I really noticed where he took a, a big leap is that he worked really, really, really hard. You know, and you see this when he's in the NBA too, but he works really, really hard to get himself into positions where he can score before he ever catches the ball, um, getting himself into a spot where he can catch and shoot, getting himself into a spot where he can catch and put the ball on the floor and, and go to the rim right away. Um, you know, I noticed with CJ, it seems like sometimes he, you know, he catches and then he's not really sure what the next move is. Um, is that kind of an accurate assessment? And, and is that something that you would say, yeah, like he needs to work on a little bit, this idea of, you know, getting himself into spots where he could do damage maybe right away or set up a defender to do damage um, rather than maybe, you know, a jab step and, and then kind of trying to figure it out. Uh, I don't know. I, I think he's pretty heavily scrutinized because he's our uh, 20 a game score. Yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah, for sure. That would be, that would be my main answer on that. I mean, there's some stuff too, that I would say as a coaching staff, you know, we'd, we'd like to put him in uh, some positions next year that, you know, more played as uh, his strengths and, and help him, uh, you know, have more space to drive, especially left and um, be able to finish or uh, get, get open shots for other guys. So, you know, I, I, I don't have a lot of, I don't have a lot of bones to pick with him for sure. Yeah, and looking at the rest, the I'm sorry, the rest of the roster. Uh, that's a 
It's a tongue tongue tie. Um, but uh, uh, you guys obviously had to remake the roster this year with uh, quite a few different players. Um, we, we saw, you know, uh, players that weren't even around last year became uh, integral parts, like uh, Bonton is obviously a, a key one there. Um, how did how did you go about kind of picking out those players and and decide you had such a small window to make that happen? How, how did you? What were you guys looking for, and and how did how did you put them together? Yeah, I mean, last uh, April, May, June was uh, was pretty uh, crazy. <laughs> no, no question about it. It's it's really right. challenging because uh, you know there was a lot of job turnover with uh, different people getting head coaching jobs, and so because of that, the recruiting was really really fierce, you know, um, and a lot of the kids had had a number of of offers and. And, uh, you know, I think we did a good job kind of cobbling it together. You know, we got the main thing that was most important to us is we got some good players to return and, and CJ and Jeff and Gervais, Mar, Jazz. Um, and then we just filled it out wherever we could. You know, Noah decommitted from Buffalo and he obviously helped us uh, uh, immensely this year. And then, uh, you know, Vova had some other uh, Power Five. Uh, he had one other Power Five official visit. He was going to go on, and he jumped in and uh, kept Duran around from the old staff. Isaac was a nice get from Coach Shaw, and then uh, unfortunately, you know, Shed and uh, and Dion both got hurt. Right. You know? So uh, it, it really was a mix of everything. It was it was Seattle, it was international, it was junior college. Um, we looked at transfers too. So um, it, it's just the nature of the beast when you when you get a job late like that. How'd you have to, how did you have to kind of alter your expectations and the roles of the players as those? So obviously uh, Shed and, and uh, Dion were going to be, uh, you know, kind of top six rotation players it looked like at the start of the season. Like how did you have to adjust what guys were going to do? It seemed, you know, like Isaac had to handle the ball a lot more than he might, might have expected. And, and then obviously Tony Miller had to step up. So what it, how did you know you guys kind of got hit by injuries over and over again what what was it like kind of trying to figure out how to how to keep going yeah that i mean that was the most frustrating part of the year is i you know there was a lot of uh a lot of change in the in the lineups and who we were playing and it it kind of made it difficult to really settle into a pattern and and build a rapport uh with substitution patterns with how guys played together and, and specifically on the front court. You know, that's mm -hmm. something that we study a lot with the plus minus data is, uh, you know, figuring out who our best uh, combinations are at the five and the four. And it, it felt like we were never quite at full capacity uh, up front, you know. Um, so that, I mean, a good example of that is down the stretch, you know, those last Arizona, Arizona State, Colorado, those three games. Uh, we played a ton of minutes with Tony at the four and Vova at the five. Right. And in the first 20 games of the year, I don't think that those two players were on the court at the same time. Hmm. So, you know, so wow. that, that tells you the amount of, uh, you know, up and down there was with, with availability of guys. Well, yeah, and it seemed at times you had uh, Tony play in the five, you know, a 6'6 guy at the five. And um, what it, he was, it seemed like Tony – uh, either Tony or CJ, but at least in your in your in your fours and fives, like was the most athletic player. At, at, and 
how does that happen coming from a guy that was at um you know a division two school and then it, like it, it it seems like a hell of a gem you guys uncovered there because particularly in the last half of the season he just showed that he was looking to dunk on people <laughs> as much as he could and then and then and really was having having to defend players that were you know four inches and 50 pounds heavier than him well uh he, he has a ton of heart you know that's that's the main thing I'd say about Tony is he he goes really hard and he has tremendous pride in his uh, in his abilities and in, in being a coup and uh, he just kept getting better you know he kind of he uh, wore on us a little bit in the preseason we thought you know hey this is a really good get you know we lucked out here and uh, you know even we didn't know just just quite how good and impactful he would be. How, yeah. how did that come about? Like, how does he, how does he end up, you know, connecting with you guys from Montana? Um, well, he's a, he's a Seattle kid. So that, that was a big, uh, big part of it is he's a Pacific Northwest guy. So he was uh, familiar with it. And, uh, you know, I think when we got here, what we were selling was opportunity. You know, this is a place where you can jump in and uh, try to, try to uh, hone your craft and, and see if you can do it at the very highest level in the country. And uh, for him, you know, that was a challenge he was really excited about. Yeah, it's good. It's, it, was, uh, it was fascinating to watch. You know, I, for, I, I can probably speak for Jeff in here, too. He wasn't really on our radar as a guy that was going to be in the rotation. And then uh, when, oh, when you guys... Oh, I'll, listen, I will, I will fully confess to the fact that I wrote more than once, yeah, he's had a nice, you know, non-conference season. But, I, you know, I just, I just don't think he's going to have much of an impact once Pac-12 season starts because I just don't think he's, you know, he's big enough or like, he's undersized for, you know, I just thought... And I was, I looked like a big idiot, actually, because he definitely proved me wrong. And, uh, you know, it was, it was just, it's, it's like so cool to see. Cause you guys have like, I don't know, you brought in like all these guys from, from not just like all over the country, but like all over the planet. And it's, <laughs> um, you know, it's, it's like you guys just, you know, turned over, um, you know, every rock you could think of to try and, you know, cobble this together. And, and, you know, one of the things that amazes me is that you, you know, number one, you did it on such a short time frame, right? I mean, I, I remember, you know, visiting Pullman, you know, a year ago when when uh, you and I met in the office and interviewing Kyle and him just, you know, I, like I could hear him working the phones while I was waiting for my interview, <laughs> you know, and it's just the way that you guys, um, I, like I said, I think I think just like scoured is really incredible. So, so maybe take... Um, you know, take our listeners through the process of, okay, you've, you've just been hired and, you know, you've got a roster that, you know, eventually ends up, I think, holding over what, like, like four guys, right. Or something, three or four guys is all. And so you've got this roster that, you know, anytime as a coaching change, you know, the roster turns over, you know, you're trying to fill spots, you're trying to add guys and you're not just trying to hand out scholarships to guys who are going to not do you a whole lot of good. How, how do you even go about um, you know, crafting roster, crafting the roster, adding talent, um, in that kind of a situation. Yeah, uh, it's, it's tricky. I mean, you're, when you first get here, I think the most important thing for coach was, uh, you know, we, we really needed guys that wanted to be here. Um, and we're, we're proud of this place, you know, so before we looked, uh, outside, we wanted to look inside 
and uh, it was really important to us to get Jeff back. You know, um, his teammates respected him a lot. He was highly regarded on campus, um, and that's that's sort of where it began. Is with those. It ended up ultimately being five guys, I think, that returned: C.J., Jeff, Gervais, Marv, and Jazz. And then after that, you know, you're you're finding guys from anywhere, you know. So it's it's a mixture of people you trust uh, in your recruiting network from over the years, reaching out and saying, "Hey, I got I got this guy." Um, it might be kids we recruited at at other spots, um, like D.J. Rodman was a kid that. Um, I was trying to get at, at Dartmouth actually. Um, and he had held out, wanted to go to a higher level and, and see what he could do. And, um, you know, he was kind of chomping at the bit when we got here. Um, so it, it was, it was really a, a mixture of guys from all over. It was a lot of, a lot of nights watching synergy film and, and trying to figure out if we could find some, uh, find some diamonds in the rough for sure. How do you go about evaluating guys? And a lot gets made of, you know, the nerd ball stuff and the analytics. And we'll, you know, I think we're going to dive deeper into the analytics here in a minute. But like from a recruiting perspective, you know, how, how much does that play a role? What, you know, you mentioned synergy. And, and I think probably a lot of our listeners probably don't know what synergy is. So maybe explain that a little bit. Just kind of like yeah. how you take all these different pieces, the eye tests, the analytics, like how do you bring all this together to try and make a decision on who, who are guys who are going to fit for you? Yeah, it's, it's tricky because with different types of kids, uh, you can have more information than others, right? So transfers, you actually have a ton of information, right? Because you can go on Ken Palm, especially if they're D1 guys, and you right. can see what they numbered at last year. You can see how they, if they were efficient or inefficient against, uh, you know, quad A or high major type opponents. Um, you know, so in a lot of ways, like transfers are a lot easier to predict how they're gonna how they're gonna uh, translate over when they bump up a level uh, or, or whatever it may be. You know, now uh, freshmen. Uh, you know, true freshmen, there's not the same analytics to it. You know, there's you might have some AAU data that you can use that'll help, but really you're you're going a lot more on old school. You know, eye test, watching the guy play. How well does he move? Can he dribble, pass, and shoot? Um, right. Things things like that. You know, so synergy helps more with with transfers or guys that played uh, shoe company AAU because. Synergy is this huge repository of, uh, of film of all these guys. And so what you can do is you can go on there, find their team, select their name, and you can watch like their last 100 uh, used possessions, right? So right. I'll go on there and I'll watch every time they shot the ball, make or miss, every time they turned it over, got an assist. And uh, usually over the course of that, that's probably 20 minutes, you can get a you can get a pretty good sense for what kind of player the guy is. That's fascinating. I I, I never considered that. Um, obviously, when when we get news of you guys uh, uh, having someone as a target or, or signing someone, we're we're hunting for you know whatever video. And, and and if it's a JC guy, usually you have to go back to their high school years and all that. So um, that, that's a great resource. Um, you you had you had mentioned uh, uh, DJ earlier and uh, and I, he he kind of well one I'm I'm sure um, 
Todd Schulenberger is glad that you brought him on for sure. <laughs> no, um, no, no question. Okay. <laughs> no question. Uh, but I think DJ is like a perfect example of, of uh, kind of the kind of the culture you guys brought in, at least on the court. Um, Cause you, he, you, when he's in, he's usually playing like a four, the four or something. And just like Tony playing against bigger kids and, and, uh, but but he he fights and, uh, and you know everyone always wants to compare him to his dad but like it's it, it sometimes it's easy because he just is so scrappy and um, I think of a he he blocked a, a, I think it was Batty's shot uh, but they called a foul but it it didn't look like it and, and you could tell he was just so mad about it <laughs> but uh, but it, but he just uh, obviously he played here and there but it was still just uh, the the type of player um, that kind of exemplified this culture. So how did you bring together this like group of kids, um, over a couple months span and then build this culture that seemed pretty evident, like early in the season? Well, as far as the guys coming together, I mean, I think most of that credit goes to, uh, goes to our captains, CJ and Jeff, you know, I, I think, uh, when you have some of your best players and your leaders, um, do things the right way and go to class and be on time and share the ball and do their job. You know, it, it makes it a lot easier for, uh, for guys like DJ and some of the others to, uh, just say, Hey, this, this is what we do here. This is the Coug way, you know? Um, so a lot of it was sort of triple trickling down that way. And, um, it happens slowly, but surely, I mean, those, those, uh, first few practices in April at some time, at some points we were down to four guys. You know, so the, yeah. the spring workouts were, you know, a lot of getting shots up and, uh, you know, four on O penetration shots, stuff like that. And slowly but surely the, uh, the rest of the team kind of trickled in, you know, but it, it's a long process. It takes a number of weeks, number of months. I mean, we weren't, I, I wouldn't say our team was even fully formed when we played, uh, down in the Caymans, you know, we were still sort of getting the kinks out and figuring out what our roles were and, and, and who we were. Well, and that's when, you know, Dion went down, right? So, yeah. you know, like, like I'm, I'm amazed that you go from, um, and, and I know that you're not going to speak to, you know, the previous coaching staff, so I'll go ahead and do that for you. But, um, you know, take a team that, you know, you know, pretty clearly didn't have, and not that, you know, chemistry is, is sort of a quantifiable thing or whatever. And we joke about, you know, chemistry, but, it, but a team that didn't seem like very much of a team in the past to this year, where you've got a group of guys who faced um, so many challenges and so many obstacles and, you know, from, you know, injuries, Craig mentioned the injuries um, um, just to, you know, everything else. And it's like, you know, this, you get from there to here where you, you face all these injuries and guys just keep stepping up and freshmen just, you know, keep developing. I mean, we, we've already talked about Vova, you know, we've talked about DJ Rodman. I mean, heck, you know, um, even Ryan Rapp, you know, had a nice stretch oh, there yeah. before. You know, had UCLA a, game. An yeah. So, you know, it's, it's like guys just keep stepping up, keep stepping up. And then, you know, I mean, our, our fans are just, you know, swooning over these videos of you guys singing, we're from Pullman. And it's like, like, I, I just, maybe, maybe the answer is simple as, as Kyle. Right. Cause like, I mean, I've, you know, I interviewed him. I've, I've devoured everything I can find on the guy. I mean, maybe the answer is just that simple 
that, you know, that's just, you know, him as a coach and that's his, his personality. And you just, you know, teams take on the personality of their coach, but maybe, I don't know, like, is there anything behind the scenes that we don't see that leads to this, this camaraderie, this, um, you know, all for one sort of mentality and this ability for the team to just continually step up in the face of adversity. Yeah, it's, uh, it's funny. Uh, Coach Smith is every, everything he talks about or puts out in the media or you read it, it's really who he is like all, all the way through, you know? So, um, he talks all the time to the guys, whether it's when we're first recruiting them or, you know, at the beginning of the season, or even after we, you know, go on a little bit of a skid, lose a couple games in a row, he'll talk about, you know, he wants guys that have great attitudes, great work ethics, and, and are really, really proud to be here and to be Coops, you know, and, and that, that permeates uh, everything he does with the program. And it's, it's funny because a, a lot of my friends in, in coaching will, will tease me, you know, they'll text me, uh, you know, are you guys still singing Kumbaya? You know, what, what are you guys, <laughs> what are you guys doing over there? You know, and it's, it's really just having that mindset of like having the right approach to every day and coming in trying to get better and, you know, not making uh, mountains out of, out of molehills, you know, just uh, get as, get as good as you can each day and, uh, and do your job on the court. Are, are you as uh, big a fan of Modelo as Coach Smith? <laughs> no, no, no comment. No comment. No, no comment. comment. Okay. Yeah. I heard, I heard I we're sponsored so, by a, a, a different company, you know, so we, gotta, yeah. we can't be endorsing anybody. I know. We're kind of nerdy about our beer around here, and we're like, <laughs> oh, man, we got to help Coach. We got to help Coach. Oh, we got to help Coach, You're welcome. Man. I'm, I'm sure he'll take a donation. Uh, so, okay. Well, let's. Uh, you, you are the director of analytics, after all, and Jeff and I are uh, um, pretty pretty nerdy. Um, Super nerdy. Yeah. Um, I feel like this is what we've been waiting for. This is what yes. we've been waiting <laughs> sure. for. Hey, uh, you know what? What we so we kind of talked about this. We were like, you know, like okay, so people are going to want to hear stuff about you know the team and about like all this like stuff. And we're like, eventually we'll get into like the nerdy stuff, and then I don't know, maybe everybody will turn off the podcast, but we kind of don't care. Because this is what we want to talk about. So, all right, yeah, let's, we're, let's, we're excited for this. Let's do a quick break and then we'll get into the nerdy stuff. Okay. All right, we're back. All right. Uh, Nerd time. Obviously, uh, I we got to tell you, man, when, when you were hired and they were floating the director of analytics position, Jeff and I just like were so excited we were like 14 year old girls at a backstreet boys concert i don't it was <laughs> so true it's, dude okay so when i when i met you at the you know at, at in the office you know while i was trying to to wait for you know the, my interview i was like i texted while i was waiting i like texted craig i'm craig they have a director of analytics you're not gonna believe this anyway it just we yeah 14-year-old girl the Backstreet Boys concert. There you go. I, I think Justin Bieber's more uh, more topical now. That yeah, probably, <laughs> probably. But but I'm old, so I'm like you know I'm like 43 now. So that's that's my frame of reference. New kids Thank on you. the block. Th thanks for keeping us relevant, man. Yeah, yeah I appreciate, it. I appreciate that's what that. I'm here for, I guess. <laughs> uh, but, but yeah, like. Um, just and obviously when it came in uh, the, the the story in the athletic uh, about nerdball when uh, um, Coach Smith was at USF and 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 
and then uh, even uh, Pat Chun mentioned it when he was uh, when in the introductory press conference. But how does that shape what you do? Like what, when we talk about nerd ball, we don't we don't we don't really like the data rate. Um, uh, term, <laughs> yeah, this is a, this is a like a of, culture war within the the yeah. Cube fan base. Yeah, we're, we're bigger so fans. Of, we're yeah. bigger fans of Nerdball here. We Nerd definitely ball. like Nerdball better. That's that's fine. I'm I'm all in on Nerdball. You know, at least until I go on uh, the other podcast, and then I'm graduating. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. Just kidding. Uh, but yeah, so let's talk talk about. Um, obviously, when we're um, we're think, I think the average fan thinks of analytics. They, they think of stuff like Ken Palm and and um, you know to. To, to the nerdier ones like hoop math and and uh, and all that and so what what does analytics mean for you guys like what well obviously we know about we've heard about um, some of the stuff in practice but um, how does it go beyond the the Ken Palm stuff yeah I, I'd say at at the most basic level we try to use data to impact as many decisions as we can uh, in the program so whether that's uh, recruiting or scouting or uh, player development or, you know, how we're allocating money in the budget. Um, we we want to be as informed as possible, you know, and, and there's a lot of different ways to be informed. That might be, you know, using Synergy to, to get film of, of guys that maybe other people don't know that film is out there. Um, that might be using the Ken Palm information to, to identify guys that are, are sort of lower usage secondary options and um, make them maybe be more aggressive on offense. And that's uh, right. was a big part of how we tried to defend like uh, Oregon and Arizona state. Um, but it kind of, it kind of runs the gamut, you know, but at the baseline, it's just trying to be a little more uh, informed about, you know, any decisions we can. Is, do you have like a, I guess I'm thinking like a specific example of a way that that analytics, you know, impact the sort of maybe the decision making process or the scouting process or something like that. That may, maybe a fan um, you know, would help them understand the way that you guys kind of approach, uh, you know, the use of data. Yeah, um, that's a great question. I mean, there's there's a, a few things. I think when I'm beginning a scouting report one of the first things I do is I, I look at the other team's Ken Palm page and, and uh, y you know, usually the scout is primarily about defense and how do you guard the other team. Mm -hmm. And uh, the first thing I'll do is I'll look at their four factors um, and figure out what they're good at and what they're not good at um, and try to see, you know, what we can try to take away or make hard on them, you know. So it starts at sort of a team level. And then after that, uh, I'll go on that little uh, page that says game plan for the team. Right. And oh, I'll, yes. We are well familiar. I'll look at those yeah. correlations <laughs> down at the bottom. Right. So, oh, yeah. you know, for some of the teams, guarding them is all about just making their shots as bad as possible, making them miss. But for other teams, it's not that simple. And it, it becomes a lot more about getting it off the board, you know, when they miss a shot. Um you know, so I, I try to figure that out. You know, is this a team where it's just about lowering their effective field goal, not giving them layups, not giving them open threes? Or is there another uh, component to this, which is that, like, 
they're great in transition, so we got to make it a half-court game, or it's really about blocking out, getting off the board. Um, so that that's where it starts on the team level. And then individually, I mean, the first thing you're looking for is, is guys that don't shoot, right? Because uh, if they play multiple guys on the floor that don't shoot threes at a good enough clip, um, we're going to help off those guys. And there's right. – there's a lot of different ways to do it, you know, whether it's, you know, like the strong side help in basketball is, uh, is like a cardinal sin that you're never supposed to do. Right. right. So right. if I'm, if I'm driving right at the top of the key and you're defending the guy in the, on, in the right corner, um, in modern day basketball, you are not supposed to suck in off that corner. Right. Mm-hmm. That's just, it's too easy of a pass. It's too easy of a shot for a good shooter. Um, but sometimes in scouts, if you've got a guy that's shooting in the low 20s or doesn't shoot any threes, all of a sudden that becomes a good play. You know, so so a lot of what we're trying to do is, is teach guys general rules of how to play defense um, and then be have, have a robust enough system that you can make these little adjustments where you help off some guys um, where you shift the defense over against a guy that really wants to isolate from the wing or, um, or attack from the top, something like that. So it's, you know, we have our basic principles, and then we try to use, uh, use the information about our opponents to, to uh, figure out uh, what we need to take away and uh, what we should try to give them because you can't take it all away. I'm also curious, like, how much you guys – maybe self scout a little bit based on those, you know, those Ken Palm stats. And, and I'm thinking specifically, you know, something I noticed, uh, you know, maybe about midway through the the PAC 12 season is okay. So you had this defense. that was really, you know, based on turnovers. And I actually have a question about that in a minute, but (laughs) really based on, you know, forcing turnovers. Um, But there was also a point where, you know, the actually the highest correlation for you guys on that page outside of uh, shooting was actually free throw rate and defensive free throw rate. And so I'm curious, like if you guys kind of look at that also to to maybe self scout and see, you know, what you're doing versus what you're trying to accomplish and how those things are working together. Yeah, yeah, we we definitely try to, you know, and I I think when you pointed out the defensive free throw rate, I think that's really uh, goes hand in hand with, with the pressure that we were putting on, especially uh, at the beginning of the season, you know, because uh, one of the best ways to attack, uh, you know, defensive pressure and guys being denied is, is just to drive the ball, you know, so take advantage of the fact that everybody's locked up and there are therefore bigger driving lanes, you know? Um, And so when you, when you play that type of D, you got to constantly be looking at how many times they're going to the line, you know, because that's usually a good measure of how much they're getting downhill, driving into the paint, um, getting paint touches, which you, which defensively you try to try to take away as much as you can, you know. So there, there definitely were some games this year uh, where we had to be a little bit more in the gaps, a little bit uh, less locked up on the perimeter um, in order to keep the ball in front a little more. Yeah, and uh, and I know I love to hear this. Uh, uh, the, 
writing, I, I typically write the game previews and, and just, it's, it's nice to hear that, uh, <laughs> uh, that, that you look at some of the same things I do. I know that's kind of self-serving, but, <laughs> um, but I, I know that that was kind of part of, part of the reason Jeff and I got excited. We're like, Hey, you know, we're going to have a coaching staff that is thinking the way that we like and whatever. But, um, I was curious about you, you're talking about these, um, scouting from team to team, um, even scouting individuals, uh, you know, who maybe have low usage and, 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 or, or don't shoot particularly well. You can try to get, put them in, force them into situations, uh, that are uncomfortable for them. Um, how, how hard is it to keep, uh, that, that database for the players in their head? Uh, do, is, is there, their reminders like, Hey, you're, you're garden 22. Remember what we said? Like you can leave him in the corner. Like, do you just have to remind them? Um, in game or, or is there a lot of you know obviously with basketball there's not always a ton of turnaround in be- between the games um, h- how do you how do you keep them on that 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 uh, that game plan that you're that you're looking at yeah it's it's hard it's hard for sure um, now it was harder in the Ivy League because uh, in the Ivy League you played Friday and Saturday nights Ugh, so you really had nice. a huge change in game plan from night to night uh, and it, it was tricky but um, going Thursday to Saturday is not easy either. So what we what we try to do is just kind of uh, repeat the main things that we're trying to accomplish in the scout, you know. And and in this league, a lot of that is is best player defense. You know, um, most of the teams that we play in league have a guy that's uh, you know on NBA draft boards, maybe a lottery right. pick or a, a terrific college player that's you know close to twenty a game. Um, so a lot of it is, is limiting those guys, but they do it in different ways. You know, a Kongwu hurts you in a very different way than Peyton Pritchard does. Right. You know, um, now what we have at our disposal to help us out is, uh, is something called huddle. So we can go, we can make edits of our opponents, you know, showing their strengths, showing their weaknesses, and we can upload that into the cloud and it'll actually send an email to all of our players where they can access that film on their phones, mm. you know. So we we like that because it's uh it's pretty non-invasive. You know, they can watch it, you know, sitting at home, uh, you know, in their bed at one a.m. or whenever they're awake. If they go to the bathroom, maybe they flip it on for five minutes. You know, it's a uh, it's a little it's a little less uh, top down than than doing in in front of the team four times. Right. You know? That's that's interesting. I. I'm glad you mentioned that because I think a lot of times people um, think of like analytics and film as uh, kind of opposing forces, um, you know, that are, that are like fighting each other where there's you have the film buff guys versus the, the number data cruncher guys. <laughs> and it's it's cool to hear that even, you know, in your role and then and how the team works, it's a, it's a combination. Both. I, I, I like how you can, you know, express that to to Cougar fans. Like this isn't just numbers there. The players are looking at film too. It's, it's a combination of everything and just sure. using whatever is at your disposal. I'm assuming is what you're thinking. Yeah. And, and we're big believers in, uh, if those two can't marry together, then, then you got something wrong. Right. So mm-hmm. if, if all your data says, Hey, um, you can go under ball screens on this guy. He doesn't take pull-ups. But then you watch the film and he's making those shots. Yeah. Well, this might not be a good strategy. You know, something's wrong with how the data was collected or whatever it may be. So 
we're, we're really looking for where those two marry together. And then that's where we'll put our chips in, so to, so to speak. You know, if the film says this will work and the numbers say this will work, then, then we're going to try that for sure. You know. One thing I'm really curious about, I, I know that people who are data-minded, analytic-minded, um, they're, they're always kind of maybe thinking about the next you know, the next thing, the next, uh, whatever it is, it's that maybe, oh, if I only had my hands on this, right, this would really change the way that, um, that I, that I can do what I do and, and, and make this better. What's a thing that maybe is, uh, not at your fingertips yet that you're like, maybe this is coming or, or, or something like that where, uh, you know, when this happens, this maybe will transform it. Or if I had, you know, my dream scenario, this is the data I would love to have that would really change the way that I think about uh, coaching, game planning, yeah. player development, whatever. Yeah, so at, at the NBA level, they have something called second spectrum. Are you, are you guys familiar with that at all? I am, yeah. Yep. Yeah, so that second spectrum is really fascinating. You know, they, they have these cameras up above the up above the stadium that, that track uh, all 10 players on the court, the ball, all the referees. Um, and, and they build these diagrams that sh sort of show all the dots moving around, the dots being the people in the ball. And then they've, they've built these algorithms that can calculate what's actually going on. So it's informed by coaches and it says, all right, this is a strong ball screen. This is a step up. This is rub. And then it shows also what is the defensive tactic to to uh, to, to uh, defend that action, right? So the the defense is showing on the ball screen. They're in ice. Uh, they're playing drop coverage, and then they veered late. Um, now, and so the beauty of the second spectrum stuff is you can find out how well these sort of things are working, right? So you can see, okay, when we're in drop coverage, we defend like a top twenty team in the country. Uh, but when we're in blitz coverage, we're not a good defensive team, right? So very quickly, just by pushing a button, watching some film, because it's married to film too, um, I can see, all right, we should probably blitz a lot less, you know? Uh, or what it also has too is, is based on the location of all the players on the court and, you know, the way the ball handler was, was dribbling when he took a shot or how close the nearest defender was it can actually calculate um, how likely that shot was to go in the basket, right? So in a, in a lot of ways, it can take a lot of the, uh, the onus off the coaches for sort of good shot, bad shot, shot selection, you know, because right. you can just go to the kids and say, hey, I, I'm not doing this, you know. The computer says that's a 32% shot. It's not me, you know. <laughs> So that's, and that's a lot of the way that they coach shot selection at the NBA level is they just, they go through and they, uh, you know, uh, fire up the second spectrum and they say, all right, let's watch our 10 uh, lowest uh, expected points uh, shot attempts from last game. Is that a thing that's potentially coming to the college level or, or is that a, you know, a capital investment that's, it's maybe not there coming anytime uh, soon to college? Both. It's uh it's doable right now in college, but but quite expensive. You know. So if we have any uh, millionaires listening, um, yeah, yeah we want well, WC to be a powerhouse. Yeah. Well, first they're going to donate directly to uh, to to uh, Jeff, Craig, and me. 
You know, that's the that's the most important <laughs> thing, right? We'll make sure the money goes where it needs. Yeah, to yeah, yeah. We, yeah. We'll take 100%. care of that. Uh, but no, that yeah, that that would be something uh, that I think would help us. Now, now the other side of the coin is that uh, the the technology is not. Um, it wasn't made for for college. It was made for the NBA, and it's it's mm-hmm. sort of slow in taking hold in college. So I think there's maybe. I don't want to quote wrong, but there's maybe six or eight teams in college that are doing it right now. Um, and now are those teams, so sorry to interrupt, are, are those teams that are schools that play in like NBA arenas? Is that kind of the deal? Uh, they're just teams with a ton of money. They're Duke, okay, they're Kentucky, it. they're I, I Indiana. Think, I think Arizona might have it. I'm not sure. Um, but, you know, so, so it's in college a little bit. Uh, but it, it would be really, really good and awesome data if it was all throughout college or all throughout the leagues. I mean, if, if the Pac-12 had a deal where every school had it and we all just mutually shared uh, data yeah. from each game, you know, that, that could be really, really helpful. But right now, if you got it installed, you know, you'd be paying the 50 grand for it and you still wouldn't have any data from any of the road games, you know. How much of a difference, like, so just having 15 games worth of data, like, or I guess it would be more than that because most of your non-conference games are at home, but, um, you know, maybe like, you know, 18, 20 games of data, you know, how, how much of a difference would that make for, for you guys? I think it would help for sure. I mean, a, a lot of these things are, how much they help you is just a, a function of how much time you put into it, you know, mm-hmm. um, but it, but it's hard. I mean, there's, there's. The, our most precious quantity, uh, for sure, is time, especially during the season. You know, because you're you're trying to manage the team, you're trying to scout for the next opponents, and you still have a recruiting class to fill. You know, so anything like second spectrum that can eat up a lot of that uh, uh, the time that you would otherwise spend, you know, clipping every single time you blitz the ball screen or every time you you played it and drop, you know, cause that's, that's the way otherwise you would, you would figure out the answer to those questions, right? You would just by brute force, you'd clip up every single time you guarded something that way and, and you'd see if it worked or not, you know, or, or you just do it, you know, the old school way and you kind of use your intuition and say, all right, this is working or no, we probably need to change course. So, you know, I, I think, I think a technology like that, would just help us be able to quickly, uh, you know, mold the team and, and uh, make some better decisions. Great. So again, send us the check. We'll make sure <laughs> to make it happen. Sounds good, Mister Millionaire. There, with me. There'll be a little little finder's fee in the middle, but yeah, yeah exactly. Just a, sm- just a small one. Just yeah, exactly. Be sure to edit that part out, Jeff. Yeah. You didn't say that. Um, so, it using what you have now obviously is uh, one thing that the broadcasts, uh, you know, the broadcasts for Pac-12, ESPN, FS1, that they, they love to, to latch onto was how you guys did kind of the pregame warmups and how you were looking at film during the warmups and, and obviously a very unique thing. And, and so, um, you know, the pregame walkthroughs and stuff. And is that something that, uh, uh, Smith has done for a while. Is that something you've picked up along the way? And, and what, how does, what do you gain from um, doing those kind of start and stop and watching film uh, so close to game time? 
Yeah, yeah. So it was actually something we started back at Columbia a long, long time ago. Um, and, and the genesis of it is, uh, is kind of funny because whenever you have a scout, you always want to show more film. That's just the nature of the beast, right? Like you want to, you want to be prepared for every situation, you know, so you want to show them the counter that they have to every play. You want to show them, all right, when the game's tied with 10 seconds, this is the, the play that they're going to run. Um, and so on and so forth. You're always trying to squeeze more into the scout, right? But the the problem with that is if, if you do it the old school way and you kind of watch all the film, uh, then you go on the court and walk through some things. I mean, you're sitting there and watching film for 30 minutes, 20, 20, 25 minutes. And the, the kids just can't do it. I mean, I can't do it. You know, I'm, I'm a coach. This is what I'm there to do. And, and by the time I'm getting to minute six or minute eight in a row, um, I'm zoning out a little bit, you know? So that's, that's sort of what we figured out is these things are best digested if they're in small dosages, you know? So that's, that's why we try to maybe watch three plays on the film. Then we go onto the court, we walk through those three plays then we come back and, and yada, yada, do that a few times. One thing that, that I'm curious about, and so I, I'm kind of springing this question on you. I didn't give you a chance to prepare. So, so I'm going to talk for a second so I give you a chance to think. But I want a really good Kyle Smith story. And the reason why I ask that is because he just – he seems like a guy who does things or says things that would make really good stories uh, from time to time. I mean, I – you know, when I when I interviewed him, you know, a year ago in his office right after he got hired, um, you know, just like – you know, I mean, he, he talked to me like he'd known me forever, which obviously he did not. But, um, you know, he just seems like a really funny guy, a really good dude, and, and just um, – you know, I mean, I even just think of, you know, I saw a video of him after a game. It was pretty late in the season, but, um, you know, it might have even been after the Colorado game. I can't even remember. But, um, you know, I think Todd Schulenberger, no, it was after the UW game. Todd Schulenberger's outside the locker room and Nick Rolovich's out of the locker room. And, you know, and here's Kyle out there saying to Rolovich, like, oh, man, I'm just a basketball coach. All I do is I hold up one fist or two fists, and that's all I got to do. You got to actually call plays. And I just, you know, I just hold up a fist. Um, obviously there's a lot more magic to what he does than that. But so maybe just, I don't know, like, um, what, what's a funny story about him and, and then just like, what makes him such a special coach? Um, a guy who's had success everywhere he's been. So, so I'm sure I'll, I'll come up with a few more, uh, you know, better stories as soon as the podcast ends. I mean, I think, I think that's how this goes. <laughs> But the, yeah, the only, usually that's how it goes. Yeah, the, the only one that came to mind is uh, we, we were at Columbia and we were playing in the CIT and we were we were in the championship game and we were playing UC Irvine. And uh, at the time, UC Irvine had this this 7-6 guy, Mamadou yes. Njai. Yes, yep, remember him. Yes, really, we remember really him. college player. And uh, when we were in shoot-around, you know, he, he must have uh, planned it out ahead of time or whatever. But we were going through their personnel and, you know, introducing their point guard and their, their two guard and all that stuff. And then we get to their center, and he jumps on the back of one of our other coaches. So he's way up in the air, and he's like, this is how tall NJ is. <laughs> you know, he, 
he blocks every shot. You can't score on him at the rim. You got to shoot threes, you know? Uh, so it was, a, it was amazing. You know, the, the, the kids were loving it. So, um, now he's, he's, he's a great coach. I think he really, really understands culture and getting the right people on the bus and, uh, getting everybody, uh, moving in the same direction. And, uh, he's unbelievably good at having a long view of the room, you know? So, mm-hmm. Where, where some of us sort of, like, I'll, I'll admit, I, when we lose, I'm crushed. <laughs> like, it's, yeah. it's tough for me. I take it hard. And, and he's able to, uh, you know, just see it as, as progress along the way. And I think that comes from um, how much experience he has at different stops and turning programs at, at San Diego as an assistant, at St. Mary's as an assistant, at Air Force. You know, he was there for one year before they had the mile high miracle and, you know, won the mountain West at air force. Uh, and then, and then our stops at Columbia and San Francisco, you know, so he's, he's able to kind of collect ourselves. And, you know, when we, uh, when we go to Utah and, and we feel like, Hey, we're ready to roll, we can get this game. And, you know, we just don't play well and, and we don't get that done. You know, he's able to grab control of the room and, you know, say, Hey, we're all right. You know, we're, we're getting better. It's a, to step along the way and, and, and we'll be fine, you know, and, and that's, uh, that's where I think he's really, really gifted. And by the way, I want to point out that that game against Irvine, you guys won and Mamadou Njai had zero blocks. So, <laughs> there you go. There you go. I guess and he it scored, worked. And he scored 27 damn points in the last 10 minutes to win that game. Oh yeah. It was that? a, it was an explosion. It was a, it was a really wild game. They, uh, you know, they played a ton of 2-3 zone, actually, like UW. So, yeah. yeah. That's pretty fun. Well, it was pretty fun when you uh, beat UW twice this year as well. So <sighs> It was not bad, I'll tell you that. <laughs> we got, we got to talk about that for a sec. We, uh, if, if, listen, if you want to know the way to, I mean, there's, there's two things that will get you into, into Cougar fans' hearts, right? Like, there's two things. Number one, uh, beat UW. <laughs> that's, that's obviously number one. Uh, but number two is, you know, have a team that, that plays their asses off and, and just fights and scraps and, and does everything. And I, I know we kind of talked about this earlier in the show, but, um, you know, it really is amazing um, how how far you can get with our fan base, really just doing kind of those <laughs> those two things. I mean, obviously beating your rival is a big deal, but, um, you know, a lot, I think a lot of people really, you know, kind of fell in love with, with, with you guys this year in, in this idea that, you know, a team that, you know, just uh, – I, I think Cougar fans fancy themselves as a fan base that punches above their weight just in general. Yeah. Yep. And so to have a team that – that seemed to do that a little bit, um, I, I think is a thing that, that really resonated with our fans. And um, it, it, I, I really want to talk uh, or give you a chance anyway. You know, you talked a little bit about Jeff Pollard. Um, it, it was such a bummer to see the season end this way for him. Um, you know, he was so just, uh, you know, he, he, I mean, dude put it all, all out on the line so many different times this year uh, to, to just play. I mean, I, you know, you know, he, go, he goes to Pullman Memorial and gets a, gets a, you know, whatever, a, a head scan or whatever to make sure he's okay. And then he comes back and goes back into the game. I mean, the dude was, was such a warrior. What was his, um, you know, maybe expand a little bit on, on what his influence was on the team this year and, and what you guys were able to accomplish. I mean, he, he got engaged in Beasley Gym. 
Right. <laughs> I mean, that, that you can't be more all in than that. You know, I mean, I, I'm a basketball lifer. I, I would say I love this thing about as much as anybody. And uh, I'm not sure I'll get engaged in the gym <laughs> or go down, I guess, go down on a knee in the, in the gym. So, you know, he, he cared about this team, man, so much. And it was really, really important to him. Uh, he left it all on the line. And I, I think he's pretty comfortable with, I think he's really happy with his decision to come back and comfortable with the way the year played out because uh, he left nothing to chance. You know, He did everything he could. And we're so, so happy we had him because uh, beyond, you know, the low post moves and, and some of the D down there and, you know, doing a great job on Stewart, uh, both games, you know, be, beyond all that stuff he did on the court, he was just a really good leader and he was a guy that bought in and uh, believed in us, uh, you know, even before we had gotten a chance to, to give the guys any reason to believe in us, you know. So that's uh, his, his blind loyalty, his faith um, were really, really special. Do you guys ever joke about some of his just old school post moves and the the wristbands and like just like I mean the dude is like straight out of like the mid eighties, right? Uh, he was he was definitely the team dad. There's no there's no way around <laughs> it. I mean, I mean, you know, if, that's fantastic. If if I had to go talk to somebody and get a little counseling, I think I would go to Jeff. I mean, he's amazing. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah, I haven't uh, seen so many uh, baby hooks in a long time. Oh, no, yeah. No, no. That, well, I, mean, this, I mean, you're an analytics guy. I mean, like, that's a shot. I mean, I, pretty much all the shots that Jeff Pollard takes, uh, other than the threes that he took this year, pretty much all the shots that he takes are, like, sort of the don't take these anymore kind of shots. And yet <laughs> he was, you know, really efficient uh, for a guy who took, uh, you know, took so many of those shots that are – they're generally frowned upon these days. And, and I think that's, that, that was just like, I don't know, like for me, uh, as, as, as kind of a numbers nerd, I, I, I don't know, like I just sort of smiled at that and really appreciated the fact that he was doing it in, in this way that, um, it, it is really a throwback and he was able to do it pretty efficiently. Yeah, for sure. I mean, he, he works on his craft. He's, he's good at those things. He works a lot with, uh, coach Phelps down there. They go through their six pivots, you know, which are, all the different moves around the rim, kind of, kind of taught by uh, Bill Cartwright actually at at San Francisco. He, oh yeah, he kind of helped us out there. So um, Jeff works hard at it, gotten good at it. But but the other, you know, defending uh, defending my realm here, analytics. I mean, there's a there's a big difference in post efficiency at the NBA level versus the college level. Okay, and a lot so of that. So expand on that a little bit. Yeah. So so. Uh, you can be you can be average in the post, or even it can be very good offense for you in the post at the college level, in a way that almost unanimously, you know, with the exception of of uh, Shaq and a few others, it just is not good offense in the NBA, and and that's that seems to be for a number of reasons. One being that the lane is a lot thinner in college, mm. right? So that. Um, when you catch the ball in college, you can just catch it a lot closer to the rim. And if you right. can get within a couple feet of the rim, it's a good shot, period. You know, even if it's heavily contested and you're fouled or whatever, if you're shooting a 18-inch shot, that's going to be over a 15 or over a 50% shot, you know. Um, and then the other piece is uh, at the NBA level, um, if you're a great low post player, they're going to double you every single time. 
that's right. just that's just a part of the deal at the NBA level. And at the at the college level, it's it's not it hasn't become as mainstream. You know what I mean? Uh, Stanford, Virginia, Tony Bennett. I mean, they double the post every time. <laughs> yeah, we got real familiar with Tony Bennett double teams. <laughs> <at> the big, <laughs> the about big 10 double, years ago. the cross key double. We yes. Yeah, yeah. Yes, not, yes, not the yes. not the big, double big down double. from yeah. the, the guard. Yeah. Yeah, but uh, but for a lot of other teams, it's just it's one on one in the post, and you know you get to dribble two or three times and see how close you can get to the rim, and and then try to drop it in. I definitely saw you say six pivots. I think I seen Jeff use all six pivots on a on a on a post move before. Uh, he he might have invented seven and eight. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's awesome. But yeah, it's a, so. Obviously, Jeff was a was a big part, and uh, I I think it was pretty obvious when when he was out. But um, uh, you know those last two games of the season, then you guys bounced back, got to five hundred with that last game. Obviously, I, I I know you tweeted that you were pretty bummed. Felt like you could make a run. I even objectively, Jeff and I like I I I, I thought you you had teams you had beaten already were. Yep. out there in front of you is it was a pretty good about as good of for for an 11 seed in a tournament about as good as a stretch as you could get but given that it didn't get to happen and, and you didn't get to make that magical run that we all knew you were going to do um <laughs> what what uh how do you feel about the, the season how do they match kind of with with your goals and um obviously we we look at things like you guys jumped 80 spots on Ken Palm and and you and, and your defensive efficiency jumped into, you know, like number 83 from 284 or whatever it was. Um, how, how do you, how do you feel about how you, how you guys did this year? Oh, good, good. I think we, uh, I think we for sure met our expectations for the season and, uh, you know, coaching staff wise. Now we don't share this stuff as much with our players, but we for sure look at the Ken Palm rank. <laughs> no question. So, you know, <laughs> yeah. jump, jump in 80 slots, uh, is a win you know that's that's great for year one and and you know if we can jump another 80 slots then uh you know we'll be in the dance next year but the that'll be the biggest thing for us is let's just keep chipping away so we're at 127 now you know let's get that thing to 70 next year or whatever it may be um and as long as you keep moving it forward then uh there's really really bright bright days ahead how do you so I know every time I, you know, I'd wait and after you guys' game, it would take, you know, on Ken Palm, it takes about an hour or so at this point. I mean, it used to be you had to wait till the next day. Oh my it's God, about an hour. that was the worst. But how, how, you know, when, when you get a tough loss, you watch that rating slip. And then when you get a big win, you're like, come on, come on, go up. Do, do, do you watch that? Do, do you feel you're like, ah, oh, damn it. Like we, we were, we were there and now we're back down. And, and, For sure. Or why didn't we get more spots? Like we, we need to be jumping more. We, we just beat number eight, Oregon. Where, where's that jump? Like, no do you, doubt. do you feel that yourself? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, I'd probably refresh it. I'll be in the coach's locker room after the game and I'll be refreshing Ken Bob. Oh, uh, that's awesome. He's just sick. like us, Greg. Yeah. Um, I will say this though, when, when we were at Columbia and uh, you're playing more of a gamut of, you know, Yale's ranked 58th in the country and then you play somebody else and they're ranked 310, yeah. you know, those, those rises and falls at Ken Palm rank can be really significant. You know, oh, yeah. you can have, you can drop 20 slots in one game, you know, or go up 15 slots. Whereas, 
I would say at this level where everybody's pretty good, uh, the, the falls aren't quite as precipitous. Yeah, yeah, that's that's something you notice. I, I, I think we would kind of hold our breath after, you know, certain losses and be like, and they're, oh, it's yeah. not so bad. Yeah, yeah. it's, uh, you know, the especially when you're in the, you're kind of in that middle range, uh, this yeah. stuff kind of, um, the teams are pretty um, closely bunched and, and not that much changes, but uh, yeah, well, I, I think we've taken enough of your time, John. I, I really appreciate uh, that you uh, came on, and, and uh, especially this last uh, half an hour or whatever. Uh, that was <laughs> that was definitely my favorite part. I don't know about you, Jeff. There you go. Yeah, for sure. Um, awesome. But yeah, I really appreciate it because I, I think you've been on with us for well over an hour. Uh, I, I know that I know you're bored and you didn't have anything to do, but oh, I'm having so a great we, time. I'm having a great yeah, time. Yeah, we appreciate that you thought of us. Just and, trying uh, to stay away from the Rona. <laughs> as we as we all are yeah, no doubt no doubt so it cannot uh, be transmitted through podcasts as much as, as far as i know there you go that is correct there you go hopefully we can give some good content to all our fans i mean we're extremely extremely appreciative to everybody that comes out and sends us emails and letters and cheers us on you know it's uh it's awesome to be a coop well, hopefully next year every day is like clay day and uh, <laughs> we, we can just have those great atmospheres over and over again. Yeah, we just got to put up our uh, national championship banner. That's right. That's the key. You, you let me know. You let us know when that when that game is, and Craig and I will drive over the mountain pass. And Sounds good. We'll pull the We'll celebrate our, our national championship. All right. I appreciate it, fellas. Thank you for having me on. All right. Thank you, John. All right. See you. Bye. Dude, that was so awesome. Yeah, that was that was uh, a lot of fun for Jeff and I. I don't know. I hope it was as much fun for you guys. Um, I hope you could tell that we were nerding out pretty hard. Um, John's a great guy. So um, really appreciate him coming on. Hopefully, we we can have him on many more times. Uh, um, really smart guy. Um, one thing we didn't know is that he. Uh, graduated from Columbia in two and a half years. <laughs> yeah, he's you know, smarter had, than the rest of us. So. I had a question teed up about that, and then I and, and then I like like I couldn't figure out a place to wedge it in. I was gonna be like, "Hey, John, like, how smart are you actually?" Because Kyle Smith likes to brag about the fact that you graduated from Columbia in like two years, and and then I I just like I couldn't figure out a place to wedge it in. I wanted to ask him about the, the philosophy degree as well. Yeah. Um, like who we'll, gets a philosophy we'll, degree? We'll have to, we'll have to, well, you know, who gets a history degree and who gets an English degree? Wait a second. Wait a second. Yeah. I was going to say, I do not have a fucking English degree. I just want to like point that out. Isn't it? Well, I do degree. have a history degree. So I have a liberal communications arts. degree. I guess Thank communications qualifies as the liberal arts. I don't know. Yes, it does. It definitely does. I'm so liberal. Um, but yeah, that was a blast. Um, we may have talked to him for another hour after, uh, (laughs) this, that may have been an hour break that we just rumors may circulate as to how long we talked after we stopped recording. But, uh, I, I do, I do enjoy that. He, while we were talking after we stopped recording, he still made the point to say off the record and stuff like that. It's like, yeah, he's like off the record. And we're like, dude, we are not recording anymore. This is completely off the record. <laughs> it was, it was awesome. It was fantastic. Oh my, we are such nerds, Craig.
Oh man, the best was that thing he told us about clay. Yeah, that thing about clay that we can't tell you all about. Oh man, I'm sorry. Uh, totally guys. off the record though. He didn't say that, but we'll keep it <laughs> off the record. It's <sighs> oh, fantastic. All right, uh, I don't, I don't know. Um, I need a cigarette, but uh, <laughs> I kind of feel that way too. I feel like we just had, uh, we just had, we just had a very intimate moment. <laughs> And, uh, you know, he's going to listen to this part. He's like, what, you guys, I'm never coming back. There again. <laughs> he's like, I'm never coming back on your show. This is fucking weird. Uh, anyway, no, we, the, when we, we, I think we went full 14 year old teenage girl after we, we turned the podcast. I, I hope off. it did. Yeah. I mean, I hope it didn't come through that much on the recording that we were just sort of like, Oh my God. But uh, but definitely after the recording, it was it was, it was all the questions that like uh, it is it's kind of funny that we're saying this because nobody's like nobody will have heard the answers. But I'll just say it was all the questions that we didn't get to uh, that we were sort of curious about. And John was wonderfully patient and uh, and very. Well, it's I, I, we probably could have got to them. We had just felt we had already taken too much of his time, and well, he yeah. just like, let us take even more of his I'm time. Like, after I'm him. like, hey, you know, you've been on here for like an hour. Let's go ahead and wrap it up. And then, of course, we talked for another whatever forty five minutes or whatever it was. It was a long time. Well, I know I went on mute to have to go pee at one point. I'm pretty sure and you went on mute. To I also pee. went on mute. I, was, I like I told you to please stop talking or please uh, continue talking because I got to go pee. <laughs> I waited for him. I asked him a question and then I went straight for <laughs> put it on mute. So it's because we've been drinking, Craig. He was drinking. What did, I, I, what are I you know, drinking, Craig? Well, I are, are we doing me first? Sure. Now do you first. Okay, do me first. We always right. do you first. Okay, That's so I true. know what you're drinking, but uh, but did you finish it by now? I, I'm, I got about an ounce left. That's uh, about all that's left. All right, so I went to... Uh, so during these trying times of, of COVID-19, uh, earlier this week, I went to uh, my local tap room, you know, Rainer Growlers, and I, have a, I actually have a friend who... This is no joke. Um, hey, Brady. Uh He's in quarantine and because his uh, because his family oh, is being tested. Brady, I've met Brady. Yeah. Yes, yeah. and uh, family being tested, and so uh, so we decided that we were gonna try and make his life just a little bit better. And so I went to Rainier Growlers and and picked up some uh, picked up a couple of cans of of, of beer and uh, put one on his doorstep along with along with some other items. And um, Anyway, so while I was there, I picked up a a, a can, a thirty two ounce can of Bitsier and Bobsier, which uh, is, of course, those of you who are uh, craft beer fans will know is the uh, Rubens Brews, uh, you know, their annual IPA that they. I, I, I want to say they started last year, but I could be wrong about that. Yeah, a few years, a couple a few years, years ago, ago, a couple years ago. Yeah, I'm um, just doing bits and bobs, and it's kind of their experimental IPA and. Um, so this is their Bitsier and Bobsier, which is the double IPA version of their experimental, you know, sort of like goofy bits and bobs. And um, yeah, so nine nine percent at thirty two ounces is uh, got me feeling pretty good right now, Craig. Yeah. <laughs> so um, how about you? <laughs> well, I uh, I was trying to do my part to support the the local uh, breweries today, but I, I don't have not one of the beers I'm drinking, but. I did uh, 
um, while the some a couple of Narrows Brewing and E9 Brewing were just doing to go, and I figured I'd try to support them while they're still open because I think by about Friday that's not even going to be an option. Um, but uh, but yeah, but so I I took a nice bike ride and and did all that and supported them. Um, yeah, so that that was nice. It was like a I I, I plotted out nice fourteen mile bike ride. Stopped at Narrows, put put a four pack in my bag. Drove to E9, two more four packs, climb climbing hills on the way back to to get those to get those four packs home. But I felt pretty good. But what I'm actually drinking is uh, um, is uh, Hair of the Dog, which uh, uh, Jeff has had on before. But uh, um, Hair of the Dog is a brewery in Portland. Um, it's a uh, um, uh, kind of an OG craft brewery. Um, famous for making all sorts of kind of like heavy malty ales, barley wine type ales. Um, this particular one is called Matt, uh, Matt commemorative ale. Um, what it is, is a barrel aged barley wine, basically a bourbon barrel aged barley wine. I'll read the, the label. It's Matt Vandenberg and Matt Bonnie personify the spirit and dedication that has helped craft beer become the vibrant industry it is today. Um, and such. So, uh, this, uh, hair of the dog, Matt, is named after uh, Matt Bonney, um, and it has uh, Matt Bonney is a kind of a Seattle beer legend. Uh, every hair of the dog has a uh, a dog on the label. Uh, this particular one has like a, a mohawk. Um, Matt Rock. Matt was a real um, punk rock type of guy. Um, he passed away about a year ago, um, about almost a year ago exactly. Um, and so uh, this uh, this year, uh, I don't know if it was always called Commemorative Ale. Uh, this year's release, 2019 release, was called Commemorative Ale. Um, but the reason I'm drinking it this week um, is because, um, well, of course, it's near the uh, one-year anniversary of Matt's death, uh, which I drank a, another beer, if you know our readers might remember, um, in honor of him, a, a Bottle Works beer, a Bottle Works anniversary beer, um, because he started, uh, he was one of the guys that started Bottle Works. Um, and Browers, and and then he also um, founded uh, Tornado um, in Seattle. Tornado is a, a beer bar that started in San Francisco, but he founded one in, in Seattle. Um, but actually, um, related to um, I, there might be other things um, going on, but related to the coronavirus outbreak, um, Tornado unfortunately closed for good um, uh, this week suddenly. Um, yeah, and it's it's pretty sad. Um, obviously, uh, it was pretty sad last year to lose Matt from the Seattle beer scene, and then to lose um, his uh, one of his babies, uh, Tornado, uh, this week. Uh, so that's you know when we're saying we're going in supporting these um, breweries while we can, uh, it's because there's all these businesses. And it could be a brewery, it could be a restaurant, it could be anything. Um, uh, I don't know about about you, Jeff, but I, I've I just have this fear of like all these places that I love. Oh yeah, won't won't be around on the other side, and uh, and and I just I, I hope that they will be. And and I know when I uh, I bought a couple four packs from E nine, um, uh, the guy there that was ringing me up, uh, he was just like, you know, thank you, every every little thing helps right now. And um, I I know it's it's tough to even venture out and. And when, when we're telling social distance, but uh, at E9, at least it was nice. It was like tap to pay and, 
you know, he's wearing gloves and everything's sterilized and we didn't even touch each other. We stayed about six feet away from each other the whole time. But yeah, um, but yeah, I was like, you know, so it was nice to be able to go and, and support local breweries. Um, and then, of course, I wanted to have this beer. Uh, it's a delicious beer, barrel aged barley wine. Um, excellent hair of the dog. Jeff, I got a, quite a few more if you ever want to try it. But um, <sighs> Well, I do have a beer for you. So maybe I need to bring it over and we need to practice some social distancing while we uh, while we share a little bit. I yeah. do have that yellow belly for you. Ah, uh, yes. Uh, we'll have to talk about that. One yeah, later. we will. We will. One of us will have to open that one up on the, yeah, on the I'll, podcast. I'm not as patient as you, so I'll probably yeah, just. I figured. Open. I figured that's what happened. Yeah, I will, that's I will love to talk happen. about that beer on the podcast. I'm not like here. I'll put this on the shelf for two years and then drink it in two years. I I suck at that. So, but yeah, we'll have to do that. We'll we'll have to. Well, that's what we should do. Like, God. There's just gonna be so much goddamn time on our hands. <laughs> it's just like and we have to stay in our houses. Oh my god, so much time in my house, and I'm just. Uh. Anyway, maybe in a couple of weeks we'll uh, we'll get together and we'll we'll share some beers. I still have. I mean, maybe I'll bring uh, maybe I'll bring that Bottle Logic beer that I've been holding on to for two years since I went to Anaheim. I thought you and, drank uh, that one. I did not. It is still the sitting. The Braggit one. Yes. Because we is... drank we drank the Dark Star November. Yes, yes. So we drank that one because I, I believe I got that for you, dude. If you do that, I got a couple other Bottle Logic. Yeah. To we'll bring we'll bring we that over. We have a Bottle Logic podcast. That's and just what we be should completely do. Drunk. We'll do it. We'll do, we'll do it, it a as, of... for a watch party. We'll do we'll do a. a <sighs> Uh, and everyone in 60 just completely yes. hammered off of imperial stuff oh it's perfect we'll have to pick uh i don't know like so i'm kind of like i'm, I'm kind of like uh torn on this like so when we do everyone in 60 do we do like a like a good game or do we do like let's take out the bottle logic and then let's watch the ucla game no and just get completely no get completely shit-faced and just like <laughs> watch that train wreck happen right in front of us jeff and... we want people to listen to the podcast <laughs> Don't you think it'd be funny though? Don't you think people? No listen? one will listen to the podcast. No one will listen to you and I get totally trashed while like. No one will want to relive that unfold. in any way. All right, well, if you say no, so. we'll just like. I do trust more. your judgment. I think it'd be something better for like the Crapple Cup or something. Yeah, you make, know, oh, but, that'd be a good one. Yeah. Yeah, just, just get like get train, like totally wasted and watch like the worst best game ever, and uh, just go with that. That'd be great. Oh. Well, I'm sure that well, our only everyone in sixty we've done. Yeah, uh, <laughs> right. We had this plan to do like a whole bunch of them, and then we did. But then one. there was other stuff to talk about. But uh, actually, we did. We did two. We did two, but we sat down, did them both on the same day. So no, we just did one. Did we just do the one? Yeah, just a uh, game. Day I swear to year. God, we watched two games while we were over at your house. No, we just watched the one. We just watched the one game day. Oh, all right. Well, sorry. We had plans for more, but I, we I think did. Uh, we had big plans. I think the day was Stanford was next. That was the next one. Yeah, yeah. we'll we'll do that. Yeah, we'll yeah, just we'll relive do. the 2018 season with everyone. Let's just forget 2019 ever happened. 2018 was beautiful. 2018 was awesome. In large part, thanks to a mustachioed man named Gardner Minshew. Yeah, I feel bad isn't... about that because I love Anthony Gordon so damn much. I know, but. But right now, all we got, 
football wise is that we know that Gardner Minshew is officially the yes owner of the is. Jacksonville Jaguars. Uh, or owner how, is that like, right? Yeah, like he's he's the presumed starter heading into next year. How awesome is that? No, that was a question, awesome. Craig. How awesome is that? Sorry, I was taking a drink of beer. It was pretty fucking awesome. <laughs> uh, yeah, it was. Uh, yeah, it's. Uh, I mean, they got like he went in there. Nick Foles got like what, like sixty million guaranteed, hundred million dollar contract. We all know the only thing that matters is guaranteed money. Right. Um, and basically came in as a sixth round draft pick and made Jacksonville say, well, fuck those $60 million. We'll trade this guy away for what was it like a, like what? Not much fifth round draft picks. Yeah, no, they, they're basically look, I mean, Jacksonville was happy for anyone to take his salary. And, like, and who else but point. the Chicago and Bears? the Chicago Bears? Abs- well, I mean, let's be honest. Would you rather have Nick Foles or Mitchell Trubisky? Well, definitely would rather have Nick Foles, but <laughs> I mean, it's a pretty they's... easy choice right there. Pretty desperate, though. But seriously, a lot of though, failed like, quarterbacks out there. In Gardner Minshew, sixth round quarterback. Like no, anybody, you, you anybody fight... including Chicago, could have had him. I know that Chicago's got to be thinking, yeah, we'll take Foles. Fuck, why didn't we draft Gardner Minshew? God, just amazing. But yeah, I yeah, I'm man, it's uh it's pretty wild, you know. Obviously there hasn't hasn't been uh that sort of hype around a WC quarterback for a long time and um I don't know, it's fun because it's Gardner Minshew, so it's extra fun because he is a like a phenomenon beyond his playing ability. Yep. Um and uh yeah, I don't know, like uh it it it's it's uh it's the NFL season feels so long away right now, but um <laughs> yeah, it does. As Tom Brady is moving to Tampa Bay and I mean, who's all the sorts best of- Who's the best quarterback in Florida now? Oh, oh, that is that's a question, Craig. Who's Miami's quarterback? Uh, it's not Ryan Tannehill. He is he is well, the Tennessee Titans. So, okay, quarterback. so they traded for Josh Rosen and he flamed out. Then Ryan Fitzpatrick was their quarterback for the rest of the year. And I presume but no one, no that, one actually stays with Ryan. Fitzpatrick. Well, yeah, my assumption is that Ryan Fitzpatrick is not their long-term solution at quarterback. So, I they're like, isn't isn't the uh, aren't they the ones projected to draft uh, to uh, Tua Yeah, to to a Yeah, are they? Dude, I'm so deep high? into Bitsier and Bob's ear. God damn it! What is it? Uh, NFL draft order. Yes. I'm sure think, that will I think they're drafting time. Tua, right? Isn't that the deal? They're going to draft Tua? Yeah. Yeah. Gardner's better anyway. than Tua. Fuck yeah, he is. He's stronger. He's, so got, better Tua, quad. So He's they, got better quads for sure. Tua will fall to fifth then? I think that's the thought. And I don't know. I don't know. What am I, all, some all kind I of draft is that, expert? Is that Justin Herbert is going to be drafted inexplicably high. <laughs> so, like, a lot of what I've seen with him is that people are expecting to be drafted, like, middle of the first round. And I'm like, 
yeah, I'll believe that when I see it. Like people are going to freak out. Somebody is going to freak out and be like, dude is six foot five and 240 pounds. And he's a, uh, he's fast and he's, he's just sort of all of these things. And someone's going to fall in love with him. It's going to happen. And I don't wish him any ill will. Like I'm sure he's a very, you know, just, I'm sure he's a very pleasant young man who, you know, is, is deserving of all the, all the nice things that people have said about him. But, I would not want him to be the quarterback in my franchise. Certainly not. Nope. But good for Gardner. It's awesome. Good for man. Gardner. We earned that, that guy. shit. Hell yeah. He's got the, that he's guy. got that kook spirit. Yes, he does. It's, I do, it's so I do funny. love I do love his Twitter is like hashtag Duval and hashtag go kooks. That's what his Twitter profile is. It's it. Is there any more perfect of a place for him to land, though? Because I'll, I'll be honest, like Jacksonville has to be like the Pullman of the NFL, right? Oh, for sure. Like, like, like just any way you want to slice it or dice it, like that's what it is. Yeah, it's the, for it's sure. the smallest city in the NFL, right? No, not even close. What What's the smallest city in the NFL? Green Bay. Oh, uh, yeah. I mean, yes, but. The greater Milwaukee area, which is also the Green Bay Packers area, is much larger than Jacksonville. Jacksonville's right? pretty big, man. Is it really? Yeah. Uh, let me. Uh, it's just that people in Florida don't give a fuck about sports. Jacksonville. I, I, mean, I guess that's Jackson, what I'm thinking. Population, population of Jacksonville is eight hundred ninety-two thousand. Okay, but what's the like greater Milwaukee area? I mean, if I mean that the Greater Milwaukee, it's got to be a million and, plus, right? Okay, but the, we're talking. I mean, about there's only just one the NFL. The there's, there's one NFL team in Wisconsin. So the so the greater population of Jacksonville, one point five million. Okay. And how many te- You know, and how many NFL teams are there in Florida? Three. Right. Okay, Wisconsin's got. It's Green Bay. Like so the entire state you know of Wisconsin. How close, do you know how close Milwaukee is to Chicago? Well, no, because my geography sucks. Like a ninety minute drive. Fine, but are they are they <laughs> Bears fans or are they are they Packers fans? So the urban area of Milwaukee is one point three million. Okay. So one point three million Packers fans versus What'd you say for Jacksonville? 1.5. 1.5 million. I don't know. Plus, you got all that, like, historical, like, you know, institutional history of, you know. Look, Jeff, what you said was They won two damn Super Bowls. Blake Bortles never won no damn Super Bowl. Neither did Mark Brunel. Yeah, you laughed at that. Now I want to know what is the smallest. That was a good pull right there. What is the smallest NFL market? What do you think? Got, I mean, other than Green Bay, it's obviously Green Bay. Uh, if you're just talking like like straight, like the city Green, itself. Okay, Green Bay is the smallest media market in the NFL. That is, that is, that is a fact. Just in the city itself. Next smallest, I mean, probably Buffalo. They say Buffalo? the smallest media market. Buffalo? Am I close? I'm trying to look for a team, like for a list. Oh, here we go. Reddit's great got radio. me. Reddit's got me. Okay, well, someone's screaming. Someone's screaming. I mean, it's obviously Green Bay. Like <laughs> people say it all the time. 
Buffalo. Um, the biggest one is the New York Giants and Jets. Okay, great. Um, the smallest one. Uh, no. Uh, it's not Buffalo. The smallest uh, population in TV households. Uh, Buffalo is low. They are 26th. Okay, I was close. Um, I'll give you a hint. This one was a lot bigger pre like 2005. New Orleans. Oh. Oh. And then yeah. Tennessee and then Spurs. I would not have guessed that. Uh, New Orleans is very small now. I, I a lot guess. Of moved away. Like I, I would not have I'm actually surprised. T- uh, Tennessee Titans are 29th. San Diego, 28th. San Diego itself is a very large city, but, but a lot of the market is absorbed by LA, so they okay. don't really. I guess that makes sense. But San Diego, San Diego is no longer an NFL city, Craig. This is an old article, goddammit. Old Wikipedia article. Or Reddit, Reddit. Well, right. no wonder they moved to L.A. Goddammit. <laughs> so actually, yeah, the Chiefs, Bills, Colts, then yeah. Jacksonville. Yeah, that all sounds Green Bay right. is bigger than Jacksonville, so you got that. Go- there you go. See? I know what I'm talking about. Now, Green Bay and t- population in TV households. Good job. See? You did it. I know what I'm talking about. Anyway, Gardner Minshew, great for him. That's fantastic. He's going to be the starter. Um, I wish him every bit of success down there. And I think it's going to be cool, like, watching him be, you know, really the number one guy right out of the gate. Like, he hasn't been that in ever in his career. (laughs) Like, like even when he was in college, like he was not, not maybe, even at WSU. When he went to his junior college, he had to win the job. When he went to East Carolina, he had to win the job. When he was at Wazoo, he had to win the job. Like, like I, I don't know that he's been the guy since he was in high school. Like, that's legitimately, I'm not sure. I mean, even when he was. Uh, his junior year at East Carolina, when he was sort of the presumed starter, there was still this, you know, sort of dude looking over his shoulder who he ended up yielding the job to. Like, like, I I don't know that he's been the guy, and so for him, this is this is fantastic. I, I hope he has the most amazing year. I will be rooting so hard for him, so hard for him. Yeah, I've, I've been uh, thinking like those. Jaguars jerseys are a lot better than I used to think they were. Yeah, I wore my Minshew Mania shirt from uh, BreakingT.com yesterday. They used that 90s teal pretty well. You know, and that's hard to do, considering how much I hate the Mariners teal. Yep. So, you know, once, you know, the 90s, we just have to hold on to and, and cherish. Yep. Um, but I guess we can, uh, kind of pivot. We love Gardner Minshew, obviously. Yes, we do. Um, Gardner Minshew probably loves Mike Leach. I'm sure he does. I assume so. Uh, not every player that played for (laughs) Mike Leach loves Mike Leach. Nope. Including one of his, uh, his highest drafted player at WSU. Yep. Um, Andre Dillard, um, 
you know, had some interesting things to say to the what Woodenville something. <laughs> this was something amazing about. There's it. a newspaper in Woodenville. Yeah, there's like a Woodenville weekly something that Andre Dillard felt compelled to open up to. It's fantastic. Probably <laughs> known the reporter since he was in grade school. Maybe. Guy who covered him when he was in high school. Something like that. It's incredible. But yeah, basically, I don't know. He didn't say anything that we didn't already kind of like either know through inference or know, you know, through just reporting. Like, um, yeah, like Mike Leach is a kind of a dick. Like, <laughs> yep. Go figure. Yeah. Weird. Um, and uh, Mike some... Leach is not warm and cuddly. Yeah. So. I mean, we we knew that uh, Mike Leach was kind of a hard. We we would talk about how, despite you know, people would label Leach as like a soft coach because of the offense he had, but he definitely was a hard ass coach, and he is still a hard ass coach, obviously. But for anybody WCU's, who's ever been about around a Mike Leach team for like five minutes would know that he is like soft is like the last the last adjective you would use to describe him or his teams or like literally anything around the program. Well, and he's obviously a player's coach. And then he was also not necessarily a hands-on head coach outside of the quarterback position. Yep. Right. Yep. That's and 100% so true. If, if you're not a quarterback, you're not getting, cause he was, he was the quarterback's coach, the offensive coordinator and the head coach. Yep. So um, he primarily, you know, that that's kind of an impossible amount of tasks. And so he's primarily the head coach and the quarterback's coach. Right. right? And the offensive coordinator. So, the, like, uh, yeah, which involve is mostly game planning. Yeah. He's kind of, you know, you know, basically directing. The yeah, offense, he wasn't like, he wasn't he wasn't like working with the individual players on the, you know, maybe if you had a, just an offensive coordinator, um, they would be working with more of the players. Um, you know, maybe might we're working with the offensive linemen, whatever. Um, but obviously he wasn't working directly with, um, Andre Dillard. Um, I mean, he would some, he, he definitely would some like a little bit here and there. So obviously my experience observing spring practice was, you know, very limited, right? So like so like it's a very limited, you know, realm in terms of what I was observing. You know, so what I saw was a guy who um was very involved with the quarterbacks. Would jump in, he jumped in with the wide receiver drills to kind of give him some pointers and and kind of correct him a little bit, but but not like heavy duty coaching. Um, didn't see any of that with the offensive line, but I presume it was sort of similar with them as well. Like he would just sort of jump in and and give him some pointers here and there. So like like you were saying, like you know you had this situation where the guy's the offensive coordinator and very heavily involved with the quarterbacks, jumps in here and there with some of the other guys really is not involved with the defense at all. And, you know, so it's, it's really to see how, how an offensive lineman like Dillard would would come away thinking, you know, hey, guys, you know, he's just sort of like a dictator, right? Right. Yeah, and and, and you, you kind of – you've seen on Twitter, like, certain guys agree. You've seen other guys be like, no. Um, it's probably just comes down to, like, 
your personality as a player. Um, we obviously saw like we saw some coded messaging around and when when Rolovich got hired, some of the players were like happy to have this type of guy, blah blah blah. He's obviously more of a player's coach. Um, we've seen players coaches are successful. We've seen hard asses are successful. We've seen hard asses are unsuccessful. We've seen players coaches are unsuccessful. So it's not like one or the other works. Um, cause even, I, I, I think that, um, uh, Saban, like guys like Saban get the, um, hard ass moniker, but, um, there's no way that guy recruits the way he does without being a bit of a, a player's coach. Um, yeah. and, and, and then we also just saw, um, kind of one of the ultimate players coaches at Orgeron, uh, win a national title. So, um, so yeah, you can do both. I mean, obviously we've seen with the Seahawks, like, and Pete Carroll won a Super Bowl and whatever, like, so you can do both, like not one or the other is better, but obviously from a player perspective, you may draw your own conclusions and yeah, like, uh, I don't know, like Mike Leach is probably kind of a dick and, and, um, uh, it, it may rub you the wrong way if you have interaction with him and, uh, that's that's fine a, a lot of coaches come off as dicks and and uh but they still win football games and whatever and and obviously like in leach's system dillard did very well and um obviously a lot of that credit is to him but still like he was he he thrived in it and he you know is in the nfl and he um we talk about uh it looks like he's going to be the presumptive starter at, at left tackle i think for uh, the eagles next year so um, uh, he's having some success as well. So, um, yeah, it was interesting. You know, it's fun to talk about, especially cause Leach is gone now. So whatever. <laughs> I, I, I do think some of that, maybe even most of it, I don't know, but at least some of it is, you know, Dillard playing under Doug Peterson for a year, you know, the environment of the NFL is very different. Um, right. you know, you're generally dealing with coaches who, well, the coaching style has to mesh with mesh with the players. Right. And so you're dealing with players who have much more autonomy, who are much more mature. Um, and, and so I imagine much make of more the, money than you do. Exactly. They make more money than you do in a lot of cases. Um, so a lot of your leadership style as a coach, it, it can't be, it just simply cannot be, as top down as it is in the college game like like that's just not possible when you're dealing with all the dynamics we just talked about so uh i, I imagine that's part of what dillard was dealing with was a coach who um had to take a little different a uh, little different strategy a little different perspective on his players uh you know doug peterson and i, and I think the the at least near as i can tell Doug Peterson is much more of a, of a quote unquote, you know, players coach. And so, uh, you know, Dillard's been in that environment for a year, which sometimes as, you know, as it just as a human, you know, you look at that, you, you know, you're in a certain environment for, for a time, you look at the environment you were in previously and you go, God, that previous thing was shit, you know? And so it's like, maybe when you're in it, it and I mean, I've, I, you know, I, I don't know if you've ever had that experience as, as an employee, but I have where it's like, I moved on to a different job and I look, you know, the previous right. job, Absolutely. I go, yeah, when I was in that job, I go, 
yeah, that was fine. And then you move to the new job and you go, oh my God, that was so dysfunctional. <laughs> you know, like I didn't even realize how dysfunctional that was. Um, I imagine, you know, Dillard's maybe dealing with some of that where, you know, he gets exposed to a new way of doing things. And uh, after being in, in Leach's program for five years, I mean, he was, he was in that for five years and, uh, you know, red shirt and all that good stuff. And um, so, so to go through that for five years and then all of a sudden go to a different environment, which is a much more professional environment. And Andre Dillard strikes me as a guy who, um, you know, maybe would thrive in that kind of professional environment where, you know, he doesn't need to be coached maybe quite as hard as, as certain, maybe yeah. some other guys do, um, you know, put all those things together and, and he sits there and goes, glad that guy's moving on and glad the players get a new thing. And I, you know, I, I don't know, maybe I'll throw this out to you, but you know, I kind of think that, um, you know, regardless of all the things that Dillard said, you know, I, I do tend to think that maybe um, a new a new approach maybe isn't the worst thing in the world, given what we saw last season yeah. and and just the reactions from some of the players, uh, you know, since Rolovich's hire and also some of the players, Jahab Woods, you know, most notably to to what Dillard said. Yeah, you know, I um, I think we've talked about this before. Um I mean, it's it's kind of it's 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 a little bit exciting for it's scary, but it's exciting for fans to have like a, a new coach and a new approach and, and a different offense, which obviously is you know not a hundred percent different, but as different things. But but it's it's uh but yeah, you saw the the way the players reacted to him, and 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 that's you know it's it. Yeah, last year was a, a challenge, and it, and it seemed like there was some dysfunction, and and it, it, we we kind of thought that 2018 would be that year, um, and it wasn't, and then 2019 turned out to be that year, um, where you saw kind of Leach's side of the ball was uh, really as good as it has ever been at WSU, and then, but the team was six and seven you know so um there was obviously a feeling like well if you know the thing that leach does the best was as good as it can be and we still like we still finish with you know we went to a bowl game but finished with a losing record and we're you know, only had three wins in conference play and whatever um and it's it's so it's uh yeah it's 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 uh i i'm i'm you know, I'm probably more on like the Jihad Woods and Max Borgie side where like this sounds fun and, and let's go, let's go do something new. I think um, I am too. And, and so, um, and it, it's funny, like, I, I think anyone who's followed this closely just kind of chuckled at what Aunt Dillard said, like, yeah, of course, like, <laughs> yeah. this is not like, none of this is weird. Yeah. I mean, none we, of it we, was surprising. we saw what happened in like Leach's first year. <laughs> Like with with like Marcus Wilson, like very public um, uh, um, departure from the team. And, and like, obviously, Mike Leach rubs people the wrong way. Newsflash. Um, Newsflash. Like, and so, um, and obviously we follow him on Twitter and whatever. But it's a, it's a um, yeah, I, I see them deleted tweets, by the way, Mike. I see them all. I'm always up. Is he them. deleting tweets? 
Definitely. Oh, <laughs> Don't worry. His I, late I'm night always... his late night drunk tweets are the best. Is he deleting those? Yeah, he deletes them. He, de- <sighs> he deletes some of them. Man, I'm so disappointed by that. I know they're way better now that he is somewhere else. I know, like we can just enjoy them now. They're hilarious. Yeah, they are hilarious. Um, but yeah, I don't know. Uh, good comments. Uh, I mean, it's uh, you know whatever. Like, like okay, some players think he's awesome. Some players think he's less awesome. And newsflash: not every player loves their coach. Right. Right. I like, guess pretty yeah. much the whole story. And it's and it's bigger news because Leach is uh, just such a, a popular and uh, famous coach. Yeah. Because um, I'm sure that. No one was going to write a story about an old Paul Wolf, uh, an old Paul Wolf player being like, well, I don't really, I don't really like Paul Wolf that much. Like, cause everyone would be like, okay, whatever. He lost a bunch of football games. That's normal. Whatever. But like, so it's, yeah, it's, uh, it's more interesting cause it's Leech cause he's an interesting character. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's also not surprising. Um, and yeah, bring on Rolo, bring on, uh, um, I love what he's doing so far. Um, it's it's fun, and I just hope that wins come with it too. Yep, and I think it will. But you know, of course, we all think that when a new coach gets hired. So especially after thirty-two ounces of nine percent beer. Hell yeah, that's me. I resisted the urge to go to the fridge for another one. I'm just sticking with the crowler. I didn't. I had another beer while we were sitting here. <laughs> You just ran a half marathon too, so you're I'm sure that's that's like kinda whacking you kinda hard right now. Well that was like four days ago, three days ago. Well I know, but I'm like you're in really good I, I guess I just mean like you're in really good shape. Like you're not like you know, as pudgy as I am. So Yeah. Beer beer's gonna beer's gonna get to you a little quicker than it is to to a, a portly gentleman like me. I probably we probably weigh way rough roughly the same. So. Yeah. But you're also six six, so whatever. yeah, that's what I'm saying. Yeah. Like I, I'm, I still have some, I still, I still have some, some uh, mass to uh, <laughs> combat. True. That's true. That's true. Even when you're in good shape, you're you're better equipped to handle your alcohol than I am. Yeah, yeah, because I've done, I did a half marathon, and on Sunday, and then yeah, I, why don't you brag about your time, man? How about that? You ran yeah, half. Wanted, you ran a you ran a virtual half in under two hours. Yeah, that was my awesome. goal a couple months ago when I decided I wanted to run a half. I wanted to do it under two hours. I've never done that before. Um, I was pretty bummed when it got canceled because I knew I was going to hit my goal because I just from my training. Um, so I was a little worried when I was set out the virtual half, which basically means you're just running a run by yourself. like So like any other one, it's just longer than you normally do. Um I, I incorporated some of the route, but actually, obviously I started from my house, so I didn't incorporate the exact route, but, um, I definitely hit a ton of wind at one point in my face, which was followed by a hill. Um, and so my pace was lower, but at, all the time I knew that like my pace was low enough, um, because really you, um, to do a two hour half, you have to do 907, um, 907 pace and uh i was pretty much keeping at 840 most of the time and uh and uh, so i was pretty proud of that and um to do an 840 pace uh um under hour and 55 is what i wanted 
while I was going. I'm like, okay, now I want to do under around 55, but which I was able to do. And, and so I was pretty happy, pretty happy with myself. Um, now I'm just trying to get faster because I have some other races I want to be faster in, um, shorter paces and stuff, uh, shorter lengths and stuff. But, um, yeah, I've, uh, you know, I'm just trying to stay in shape because, uh, uh that's supposed to be good for fighting off viruses, I guess. I don't know. It's what I've heard. Yeah. It's what I've heard. Well, um, well, we talked about, I mean, all this other stuff is just window dressing. Uh, this could be our longest episode ever. Uh, yeah. Um, this was supposed to only be like 10 minutes, but we yeah. stretched that out. Yeah. A little more than 20 minutes, a little more than 10 minutes, a little more yeah. than 20 minutes, just a little I more than 40 you, minutes. I, I hope, I hope you, uh, listen to the Andrushek post of this or yeah. part of this like the, we should have like a prize for people to listen all the way to the end of this what what should we do what should we do about that um, should we like i don't know i'm not sure what what we do we'll have to think of something because i'm like if a, somebody listened all the way to the end of this and they send us an email at pod vs everyone so pod podcast, versus everyone. podcast podcast sorry Ooh, sorry podcast versus everyone podcast vs everyone at gmail.com if you send us an email that says i listened all the way to the end and i don't know some sort of like thought what should we do for them we should do something I'll give them a crisp high five from six feet away we could do that like little like social distancing high five yeah yeah do that tell yeah. them a joke tell them a tell them a podcast for everyone joke yeah i don't know i got dad jokes for days I'm maybe we'll tell you that thing about clay maybe maybe we'll tell them an off the record thing yeah <laughs> all right subscribe and you know whatever else all that other crap follow us on twitter follow us on twitter Send us an at email. The Craig Powers at Pod versus Everyone. Jeff yeah. is Jeff is the Pod versus Everyone. Mostly. Don't hold anything that he says on there against me. It's true. It's mostly me. Like, and by that he means entirely. Me. <laughs> it is my daughter on the cover photo. Though. See, it's mostly me, but not all. Because it was just too good of a picture. It is a good picture. To use. It's an excellent picture. Um, I set up the Twitter account. It's true. So if there's a picture of my daughter, and it then is a true. picture of me, and then Jeff <laughs> runs it. That's, that's how this dynamic works. Yeah. Well, that's what happens when your partner deletes his own Twitter account and then needs a Twitter account again. Yeah. Stupid Twitter. Stupid Twitter. Stupid Twitter. Who needs 5,000 followers when you can have 400? I know, right? That's what I needed. All right. Well, okay. thank you, everyone. Um, yeah, subscribe. Rate us five stars. Yep. Uh, we like that. Uh, be sh- I, I know it sucks. Like you're, No one likes to listen to podcasts sitting at home, but just, just do it, man. Yeah, I know. Without people driving right now, it's like. What are we going to do about that? I don't know. We're just going to keep, keep on keeping on. Oh, listen to, uh, also cause Preston has a cool series. Yeah. It's awesome. Yeah. 
maybe even you could end up on it someday. Ooh, maybe. We're um, talking so we're yeah. talking about one. Preston's we're talking about a, a big 1997 mega cast for so all yeah. the olds. Make sure you're listening to Preston's uh uh his last one was an inter- he did one for himself about 2017 USC. Yep. And then he just had an interview with uh, PJ Kendall writes for us about 2018 game day. So, PJ um, went to great lengths to be at that game. So Yeah. Definitely listen. He to also that. hit it from us very well. Yeah, um, that he was doing that. Yeah, um, but uh, so yeah, uh, do that. Listen to those. Uh, those will be fun for you. You have nothing to do. Uh, yep. Your life is boring. Yep. Um, you you can stay socially distanced while being while connecting with someone on a personal level. It's yep. great. Um, but anyway, so yeah, uh, we need to stop this podcast. We should stop. All right, go, go Cougs, Craig. Go Cougs.